The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 11th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. It is the easiest thing in the world. It is the easiest thing in the world to believe something that you want to be true. It's easy to believe something you want to be true, and maybe you've heard about this uh, fallacy called confirmation bias, where when you want something to be true, what you do is you go looking for evidence to support your thesis. So if you really like drinking coffee, how many articles have you seen? Well, you know it's probably not good for you to drink as much as you do, but how many articles have you seen showing you that coffee is actually good for you, that it's really good to have a cup or two or three or a whole pot every day? It's really good for you. If you want to find the evidence to tell you that drinking coffee is good for you, you certainly can. You certainly can. There are other kinds of confirmation that we look for, some that cut much deeper into our hearts and that are relevant to today's lessons, especially our lesson from Jeremiah, when, for instance, we know that something is sinful, something we should not do, something which goes against God's law, and yet we say things to ourselves like, when was the last time God ever punished you for this? When was the last time lightning came down from heaven or the earth opened up to swallow you? When was the last time God kept his word about punishing the evildoers? Certainly not this time. Confirmation bias makes it easy for you to believe what you want to believe, for you to believe things that you love, that you want to be true. That was the state of affairs among the people of Israel at the time of Jeremiah. You heard the story. He was called by God to prophesy to the people, to call them to repentance, but they wouldn't listen. For years and years and years, for a couple decades, in fact, he had been preaching to the people of Judah 
calling them to turn from their evil ways, from their sins of wickedness, from oppressing the poor and the innocent, from following after other gods. He was calling them to repentance, and they just ignored him. And so today he appeared in the temple and he said, look, there's going to be destruction. Your city and your temple are going to be destroyed. And what did they do? They tried to kill him. They loved the lie that they had believed. They loved it so much that they could go on in their sin and nothing bad would happen to them. That they were going to be just fine. That the temple was standing there, that there was peace in their land, and that it would go on as it had before. The sacrifices were happening. The priesthood was there. Everything was going to be just fine. They don't have to change. They don't have to repent. This guy, whoever he is, who is prophesying destruction, he's a traitor. He's preaching against our land, our nation, our priests and our temple. He should be put to death. They loved the lie that they believed. They loved it so much, that comfortable lie. But they were willing to do something dreadfully unjust. And you heard Jeremiah call them out. If you do this, whatever, my life is in your hands. But know this, if you kill me, you are bringing innocent blood on your heads. You're taking the lie that you have believed and compounding it with this other sin. You're taking one demon and you're adding seven more so that the last state is worse than the first. There is nothing easier than believing lies when they are things that we want to be true. And you can see that our world is full of lies from beginning to end. Pay attention, open your eyes, and you will see how many lies there are all around us. One of the reasons why lies are so popular, why lies are so believable, is because they help you to get ahead. When you can have two people agree about a lie, when you have a conspiracy, it works out to everyone's advantage, doesn't it? When you have two people agreeing to commit some sort of wickedness, they have each other's back, and they can get ahead. There's a great story, well, it's a terrible story, in the Old Testament, of Queen Jezebel, who saw her husband Ahab one day pouting because he could not get a vineyard that he wanted. He wanted to buy a vineyard from a fellow, but the fellow wouldn't sell it to him. It was his family's property. And so Ahab, King Ahab, the wicked king, was pouting. And his wife Jezebel saw him, and she said, what are you pouting about? You're the king. You should do what you want. You can take this vineyard for yourself. And so she goes, and she finds two wicked men, two scoundrels, and she convinces them to testify against the owner of that vineyard, to lie about him, to say that he had blasphemed God and the king. So they went. They didn't care. They got some praise from Queen Jezebel. They told the lie, and the owner of that vineyard was stoned for the blasphemy which he had not committed. Ahab took the vineyard and seemed to live happily ever after. It was a dreadful thing. They conspired. They agreed on a lie and the consequences were grave. As a matter of fact, the prophet came to Ahab and told him what a terrible thing he had done, and that his house would be destroyed because of it, and that his wife would be thrown from a window and be eaten by the dogs. That, cons that conspiracy turned out to nothing in the end. But for the moment, for the moment, believing that lie seemed to be the best thing in the world, especially believing that lie together with a friend who is conspiring with you. The real reason for that, however, is not just built up in our hearts, it's not just found in sinful hearts out of which every kind of wickedness proceeds, but it comes because the devil, who still wields lots and lots of power in this world, the devil is the father of lies. That is why lies hold sway in this world, because the devil is the father of lies. You know it all the way back from the Garden of Eden. 
The way that he tempted Eve was by lying to her about who God is and what he has done for her and how much he loved her. It began with a lie, a comfortable lie, a pleasant lie that led Eve to give up everything that God had given her. Those kinds of lies, those kinds of pleasant, comfortable lies abound in our world that let people, allow people, do wicked, terrible things. You can see it all around you. Just think of the kinds of lies that are propagated in our nation alone. Think about the way that our nation regards things like marriage and sexuality. Think about the fact that there are laws on the books now that allow people to lie about their sex, to be a boy if they want to be a boy, no matter whether they were born a girl, and vice versa. Think about what a dreadful lie that is. What a terrible lie and how popular it is, how easily believed it is, how comfortable that lie is for our world. Or think about the more mundane lies that abound in our world. Lies like money really is the key to happiness. Money really is the key to security and success. Or your health really is the key to your happiness in life. If you're healthy, all will be well. Or being with your family is what you need to make it in this world. Having a good job, doing well in school, these are the things that make for good people. These are the things that make for success in life. Those lies are dreadful. They're the kinds of lies that draw people away from church. When those lies are believed that other things, work, school, leisure, vacation, hunting, and fishing, these things are more important than God's word, what a lie that is. It abounds in our world. You don't have to look hard to see those lies. You don't have to listen hard because they come even from your own heart. Or think about one that may strike even closer to home, one that is on everyone's minds and has been for the last year. Think about COVID. Think about the kinds of lies that abound on account of COVID. Think about the lie that is propagated, which says that health, physical health, is the absolute most important thing in the world. That avoiding getting sick is and should be our number one priority. And anyone who disregards that, anyone who thinks otherwise, is a bad person. What a dreadful lie that is. Or on the other side, think about the self-righteousness that abounds from saying, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not afraid of dying. Anyone who wears a mask must not trust in Jesus. Anyone who wears a mask must be weak in their faith. What a lie that is. Those comfortable lies which allow us to feel good about ourselves and terrible about other people, those lies abound. Just look and listen, and you will hear and see lies everywhere. I'm talking about lies because although our gospel lesson appears to be about Jesus casting out a demon, there is a kind of demonic power that is worse than, say, having an unclean spirit. Look at the difference between the mute man in our gospel lesson and those Pharisees who came and questioned Jesus. All that was wrong with the mute man was that he couldn't speak. But those Pharisees, who said that Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, or who at best were skeptical about him, what was their problem? They weren't merely mute. They had believed a lie. They had believed a lie about their traditions, about cleanness, about purity. They had believed a lie that God would be pleased with them because they kept their hands clean. Jesus earlier in the Gospel of Luke, says countless times, Woe to you, hypocrites! Woe to you who clean the outside of the dish. Meanwhile, inside, there's all kinds of filth. Woe to you who strain out a gnat. Meanwhile, you swallow a camel. You whitewashed tombs, he calls them. 
They believe that because they are clean on the outside, because they've never had an unclean spirit, because they follow their traditions, they hold to them with such extreme devotion that God must love them. They believe that lie so much, and they love that lie so much, that even as Jesus casts out the devil from this poor man standing in front of them, they can't see it for what it is. They want another sign. What other sign could there be? Here, Jesus, the stronger man, is binding up the strong man. Here, Jesus is casting out a devil. What other sign do you need? They loved their lie so much that they were blinded to the truth, the truth which stood right in front of them. And they were blinded to the mercy of God. And so they wrote him off, or at best, they were skeptical, and they really become like that poor fellow who had one demon cast out of him, but his heart was swept and made clean so seven worse demons could come, and the state of that man was worse than the first. Look at these fellows, these Pharisees who are calling Jesus as one who works with the prince of demons. What hypocrisy. What a lie. Jesus shows them for who they are, but even so, they harden their hearts, they dig in their heels, and the last state of them is worse than the first. That warning about demons, I think, really holds for lies as well. If you cast out a lie or if you have a lie brought to light and then you ignore it, it makes room for seven other lies. Seven other lies worse than the first, and you harden your heart. Pay attention. Take heed. Don't look, when you think about demons, don't look for exorcist-style phenomena, like in the horror movies. Don't look for people with their heads spinning and acting all insane. Just look for lies. Look for lies. If you want to know where the demons are at work in our world, look for the lies. The point of our lesson, our gospel lesson this morning, is that Jesus has not come merely to cast out an unclean spirit here or there. He has not come just to make people physically well or mentally well. He has come to destroy the father of lies. He has come as a stronger man than the one who holds this world under its sway. He has come as a stronger man to plunder his house, to steal back, to redeem those who once belonged to him to rescue you from the lies. That is what Jesus does, and look at how he does it. He makes his way. We're nearing the end of Lent here, and come to Holy Week, we'll see Jesus making his way to the cross with the lies that are uttered against him increasing exponentially. People reviling him, spitting at him, mocking him. Are you the Son of God? If you're the Son of God, save yourself. What lies? For, of course, Jesus... In exercising his authority as the Son of God, defeats the strong man, defeats the father of lies by dying on the cross. He bears in himself every last one of those lies that they utter against him, even to the point where he cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He takes all of those lies into himself, all of the lies that you have believed, all of the lies that still drive your lives, he has taken them all to the cross. They've been nailed there so that the father of lies can hold no power over you. That is the truth, the one most important truth, the truth that makes all other truth precious. This truth that Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. That Jesus shed his blood so that the devil cannot harm you, so that his lies can no longer captivate you, 
so that the truth would set you free. That is the truth which makes the truth work worth striving for. It makes it worth it to root out all the lies in your life, to put up a fight against the devil and his demons, to acknowledge God's goodness and mercy and hold fast, hold fast to his precious promises. We live in a world that is beset with lies, but you have the truth. Hold fast to him. The lie is always attractive. It is comfortable. But you know better. You are children of light. Walk as children of light, as St. Paul says. And pay attention. You can pay attention in this way, that when you hear God's word, or when you hear preaching on God's word, when you hear God speaking, the moment it makes you uncomfortable, the moment it makes you kind of tense up or feel nervous, the moment it unveils something inside of you, you know that it has uncovered a lie. Pay attention. Pay attention to when God's word makes you uncomfortable and spot the lie. Root it out. Believe the truth. Hold fast to Jesus. Repent and believe that he has forgiven your sins, that he has cast the father of lies from this world never to harm you, that he has come to plunder the devil's house, that he has come to rescue you from sin and death. Believe that his blood is poured out for you in abundance, such abundance, that you will live with him forever. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.